All right, well, why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 and uh, hold your place there in verse 22. My family and I moved to Pataskala in August of 2005, seven years ago. By the way, we forgot a very important milestone around here. Last Sunday marked our seventh anniversary as a church. Uh, So that was... We're so good with formal occasions here at the vineyard. Uh, Oh, yeah, seven years. Thought about sometime after the service. (laughs) Anyway, we moved to Pataskla in August of 2005, and it seems to me that since that time we have had an unusually high number of tornado warnings. Has has anybody noticed that the last few years it just seems like there's an awful lot of uh, tornado warnings? I... I seriously cannot remember before moving to Pataskala ever going to my basement uh, because of a tornado warning. I I just don't uh, remember it. And in the past several years, I've been in my basement at least once, sometimes twice, probably more uh, each and every year that I've lived in this godforsaken place. (laughs) Just joking. I, I love Pataskala. It was a joke. I love Pataskala. So, (laughs) now running to the basement is a different experience for me because when I was a kid, we never ran to the basement no matter how bad the storm warnings were. We we just did not uh, go there. And to this day, my parents still dare the storms to hit their house as they sit in their recliners and drink sweet tea. (laughs) So this has been a a different experience for me. You know, uh, my family and I are huddled in the basement and my parents are sitting in their recliners just a few miles down the road. It's like, boy, aren't storms wonderful? I just love a good storm. And uh, so during some of these trips to the basement, my sons have... Uh, at times become very concerned for our safety. Now, I need you to understand that I have very brave sons. (laughs) But during these trips to the basement, they have become very concerned. Uh, Once when uh, Aaron was, I think, five or six years old, I think it was the first year, maybe the second year that we lived here, and we were in the basement huddled under the steps, and Aaron looks at us and says, "Uh, Mom and Dad... I want you to know that I love you, in case this is the last. Isn't that precious? But a few of these times that we've headed to the basement, I've, I've really seen their anxiety level start to rise. They, they start to get a bit skittish, and, and I can just sense that they really are on the edge emotionally. And something that I've often done during these times, and admittedly, some, it's with varying degrees of success, but, but something that I've done is I've sort of demanded their attention. I, I've forced them to, to just look in my face. And I ask them a question. I say, do I look worried? Do I look worried? Now, those of you who know me are probably answering, yes, of course you look worried. (laughs) 
But in these instances, when I've asked them this question, I was not worried. The answer was no. And it was obvious that was the answer because I I did not look worried. And so I, I say this to them. I say, now, I'm not worried, not even a little bit. So you don't need to worry. You can worry when you see that I'm starting to worry. That's, that's what I tell them. And, and so I say, okay. And again, varying degrees of success. I won't pretend that always has helped. But I can say this. I can assure them that I'm not worried because I know we're safe. First of all, I know the likelihood of a tornado actually touching down is fairly slim. I don't think it's happened in all the times that we've gone to the basement. Uh, I know that if it does touch down, the likelihood that it's going to hit our house is slimmer still. And I know that even if it does hit our house, we are in a pretty secure location. I'm not going to tell you exactly what our setup is, but (laughs) it's pretty secure. I mean, we're probably going to be okay even if the thing lands right on our house. And, uh, and so my perspective is much different than theirs. My, my understanding of the situation is just a whole lot clearer than what their understanding is. I know that I have them in a safe place and they just don't need to worry because dad is not worried. You know, there are all kinds of things that tempt us toward worry. And I don't think I even need to Uh, take any time to to make the case for that, to support a statement like that, because you know there are all kinds of things that tempt you uh, to worry or successfully tempt you to worry. You know, from financial concerns to health concerns to relational strife to concerns over natural disasters or even terrorism, there is no shortage of stuff uh, that we find to worry about. And yet, in the text that we come to today in the book of Luke, Jesus tells us something that seems sort of unrealistic. Jesus tells us that we aren't to worry. Has he not thought through all of the possibilities? How can he say this? He tells us that we aren't to worry. So if you have your Bible, open to Luke 12, 22. Why don't you follow along as I read verses 22 through 34. Here's what they say. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat and drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus tells us, therefore, I I tell you, do not worry. You've probably heard this little thing uh, that goes, whenever you see a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. Everybody's heard that? It's kind of corny, but it makes a really good point. And here is what it's there for in this reference. It's a reference to what we covered just last week. Jesus had just shared the parable of the rich fool and the bankruptcy of the rich man's approach to life. And he had warned them of the sad end of those who give all of their effort, give all of their energy to storing up material possessions, but they aren't rich toward God. And immediately after that teaching on the the rich fool, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, not do not worry. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. Just don't worry. And sometimes when we read these uh, do not worry passages in the New Testament, if we aren't careful, we will ascribe meaning to these words that Jesus did not intend. Uh, Just... uh, Uh, A little disclaimer here that I think we need to make. Nothing Jesus says in these texts uh, supports a slothful approach to life. That's not what is in view here. This is not a sit on the couch and eat candy bars and Jesus will keep you clothed and fed passage. Now, I didn't think you would think it was, but I I just want to be clear. Work, providing for yourself, providing for your family, hard work, planning, uh, being wise in business, being wise in your handling of money, all of these things are commanded in Scripture. And so we have to be certain that that we never look at passages like uh, this as some kind of call to, you know, just kind of a laissez-faire type of attitude uh, toward life. It's not. But Jesus says, do not Worry. Now, there are many reasons that we shouldn't worry. Uh, Pastor Bob Russell from Southeast Christian Church in Louisville gives several reasons we shouldn't worry. One is that worry insults God. You ever thought about that? How, how our worrying is really kind of an insult to God? Worry impairs our personality. Worry erodes our health. Many of us have probably experienced that firsthand, how worry has a detrimental effect on our physical being. Uh, Worry harms our Christian witness. Uh, Worry often distorts our judgment and results in wrong behavior. But the reason that we shouldn't worry that I really want to highlight today is this one, and it's highlighted in the text, and that is that worry accomplishes nothing. It doesn't do anything for us. It wastes time, it wastes energy, and as such, it is uh, the, the fact that it won't accomplish anything. It's just a complete waste. And so Jesus says in verse 25, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? The answer is none of us can do that. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Ha- have you ever convinced yourself that worrying actually was doing something? Have any of you ever convinced yourself of this? Um, These are probably the kind of thoughts that should stay inside thoughts, but I'm going to share this with you. Uh, I I had a bizarre thought one time. There was a concerning situation, and I 
I realized one day that I just wasn't worrying about it. And, and this is bizarre for me because I, I tend to, to need the message that I'm talking about today. And, and so I just found that I was not worried. And then I got thinking back to all the concerning situations in the, in the past that had turned out okay. And I remembered that the common denominator in all of those was that I was worried. <laughs> you know where I'm going. And so for a moment, I almost convinced myself that I needed to start worrying to kind of help the outcome be a good one. Now, I think some of you are laughing because you've probably had a similar thought to that. Some of you haven't, and you're really being very self-righteous right at the moment. <laughs> but, but some of you... Um, can laugh at me, but you've probably had the same type of convoluted thinking. We think it's ridiculous. Uh, th- this type of thinking is ridiculous, and Jesus confirms that it is. Worrying can't add a single hour to a life. It's powerless. It accomplishes nothing. And so Jesus tells us, stop doing it. But is this realistic? I mean, most of us are pretty skilled at worrying. We have honed this craft over many, many years. We've worked hard at this. We we have nurtured our worry. We've, We've shared our worry with others. We've forced our worry on those around us. Maybe we've never known a time when we weren't consumed with worry. So is it realistic? Is Jesus asking something that's impossible? Or is it actually possible for us to live free from worry? Well, I don't think Jesus tells us to to do things that we can't do. Now, Now, to be really clear, I think he tells us to do things we can't do on our own. But he doesn't ask us to do this on our own. And so since he's told us not to worry... That means that it must be possible to live free from worry. But how do we do that? You say, Brian, I'm a world-class worrier. I just don't see how it would be possible for me to get to the place that I don't worry about things. But it is possible. Or Jesus would not have commanded it. So so we have to ask ourselves, how do we get to this place? How do we live free from worry? Look beginning at verse 24. Jesus says, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Then verse 27, Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. If God, I'm skipping around a little bit here, if God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. Your Father knows that you need them. Jesus tells us that God is aware of our needs and that God is actively involved in caring for us. The way Jesus says that we can live free from worry is by trusting God. Trusting that he cares, trusting that he's actively involved in caring for us. By the way, I just want to 
uh, throw a little something in here. Note that, that Jesus makes it very clear that mankind stands above the rest of creation. This passage makes this very clear. Yes, he is concerned with ravens. He is concerned with lilies. But he teaches us here that humans are more valuable than birds. We shouldn't have to go over things like this. But in our current uh, uh, culture, I think we do. And, And he cares for the lilies. But how much more care he has for you, he tells us. So don't let any, anyone ever suggest to you that mankind is just one of God's creations. You are made in the image of God, which is something that is not true of any other created thing. Amen, Brian. All right. So we live free from worry by truly trusting God. And we can truly trust God because God is good. God's good. The writers of Scripture, not immune to life's difficulties, affirm from beginning to end that God is good. In the 86th Psalm, David declared, You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. The 119th Psalm, verse 68, declares, You are good, and what you do is good. Peter refers to followers of Christ in 1 Peter 2, 3, as those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Jesus says of himself in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. In Hosea, Hosea, If you know about Hosea, you know the brother had a difficult uh, path to walk. And he says, the ways of the Lord are right. After all the pain that he went through, he, he declares the ways of the Lord are right. We can truly trust God because he's good. And we can truly trust God because he is in control. He is Sovereign. There is nothing that happens that God is not sovereign over. Nothing. And and this text supports that. Now now think about a raven. How how is a raven fed? Uh, You can actually answer on this one. Usually my questions are rhetorical, but uh, how's a raven fed? Yeah. Roadkill. Roadkill. A raven is fed by roadkill. But Jesus says, I guess it would have been wagon kill or donkey kill. I don't even know if it would have been wagon kill, donkey kill. (laughs) So a raven is fed by donkey kill. But Jesus says, what's Jesus say? God feeds them. God's in control. It looks like it's just life, but God's in control. A lily sprouts in a grassy field. What's that the result of? Rain? Sunshine? But Jesus says God clothes the field 
with the lily. It looks like it's just a natural part of life. But God is in control. A king comes to power through military conquest. A president comes to power through an electoral process. But it is God, Scripture tells us, that places kings and rulers in their positions. And it is God who removes kings and rulers from their position. It it looks as though somehow this is just happening, just just life, just happening without God's involvement. And yet Scripture affirms that God is in control. I mean, this is the one who spoke the worlds into existence. Nothing exists apart from him. He knows the end from the beginning. Here's a thought that I I think would really be helpful to us if we could, could really believe this, really accept this, really own this deep down in our spirit, and that is that God knew when you would be conceived. He knew the exact moment that you would be born before the worlds were spoken into existence. And here's another thought that I think could help us. He knew the exact moment you would draw your last breath, where it would be, how it would happen, before he ever spoke the words, let there be light. He knew everything about you from beginning to end. The one who is aware of your needs and involved in actively caring for you is good and he controls all things. And so you can trust him fully. Now, friends, we have to ground our understanding of this passage in reality. God cares for us, but that does not mean that we are exempt from difficulty. We know this from experience, but too many people have convinced themselves that Scripture teaches something otherwise. It does not. This passage affirms for us that we are not exempt from difficulty. We are not exempt from hardship coming our way. God provides for the birds of the air. God cares for them. But sometimes they're eaten by a predator. God clothes the grass of the field with lilies, but lilies die. Grass, Jesus says, is here today and gone tomorrow. And in fact, Scripture says this about us. The 103rd Psalm, verse 13 says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. Gone. Like grass. You know, even if we live really long lives, I always hate to put a number on that. So we'll say 95 or 100 years. Really long lives. It pretty much amounts to here today and gone tomorrow. You're realizing that, right? The older we all get, you're realizing that. I have these weird thoughts like, 
from the time I was 16 until now, do that again and I'm 70 years old. And that seems like yesterday. It really seems like yesterday. Here today, gone tomorrow. Life is so short. In that short life, God is good. God is in control. This good God who is in control cares for us. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear because we can trust Him. But we shouldn't convince ourselves that God's care for us means life will never bring anything difficult. What Scripture affirms from beginning to end is that we can trust God, we can know that He loves us, we can know that He is good and in control when we are delivered from a fiery furnace or when we are stoned to death. That's what Scripture teaches. Either way, deliverance out of the fire, death by stoning. God is good. God is in control. God cares for us. Do you think that Stephen felt less cared for by God when the heavens opened before him and Jesus welcomed him home? I don't think so. I think he felt pretty cared for. I think he believed that God was in control. You say, Brian, I don't like that so much. I want delivered from fiery furnace care. Not welcome to heaven, Stephen. Congratulations on being the first Christian martyr care. And I absolutely agree with you. I do as well. And this reveals something about us, which is understandable in a sense, but probably not the way it should really be for Christians. It reveals how earthbound our thinking is, how earthbound our thinking is. Which brings us to the next point about how we can live free from worry. We do so by trusting Jesus and we do so by seeking his kingdom. Jesus says in verse 31, uh, in effect, what he says is seek my kingdom and don't worry about the rest. And then he goes on and says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that don't wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can I summarize for you what I I think Jesus is saying here? Stop acting like here and now is all there is. And start acting like heaven is real. That it really matters. Stop acting. Like here and now is all there is. Start acting. Start living. Start believing like heaven is real. Stop clinging to this life and the concerns of this life as if that's all there is. 
and start living like the most important thing in the world is your citizenship in heaven. I think what he's telling us here is to allow our hearts to truly belong to heaven. Rather than what is so often the case, that our hearts are torn between heaven and this present world system. When our hearts truly belong to heaven rather than the world, when we truly seek his kingdom, then we can live free from worry. Because the worst that can happen to us in this life does not change one thing about our future heavenly reality. This is what Christians believed as they were being led to the stake to be burned for their faith in Christ. This doesn't change one thing about my ultimate reality. That's what they believed. Of course, they didn't have as much nice stuff as we do. It's hard. It's hard to believe that. When we live in really comfortable housing have unlimited entertainment, eat out whenever we want. How can we live free from worry? By allowing our hearts to truly belong to heaven and closely related to that, by making our greatest concern obeying God's will and making all of our lives about being content with obedience to God. You know, this is what the wisest man who ever lived concluded about life. The the book of Ecclesiastes records Solomon's findings after having given himself to the pursuit of everything that life has to offer. Wealth, pleasure, wisdom, uh, adulation, uh, just on and on and on. Read through Ecclesiastes sometimes. Solomon says that, that he set out with the purpose of not withholding anything that can be found in life from himself. Wow. And he didn't. He, he didn't fail in that. He, he did not withhold anything from himself. He should have withheld some things from himself. But he did not. And you probably know his conclusion regarding all that life has to offer. Here's what he said. After experiencing the best and the worst that life has to offer, he says, it's all meaningless. It's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. But then at the end of the book, he comes to this God-inspired conclusion. It's recorded in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. And here's what Solomon says. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. After experiencing literally everything that life can offer, Solomon concludes that the key to life is honoring, respecting, trusting God, and keeping God's commandments. Let us be satisfied with this in our lives, that we've been obedient to God. And why should we be satisfied with this? Why should this be our concern? Because judgment is coming. This life isn't just about this life. Judgment's coming. 
We can live free of worry by fully devoting ourselves to seeking God's kingdom, living as though that is what really matters because it is. When Jesus tells us that we're to sell our possessions and give to the poor and to provide purses that don't wear out and treasures that aren't exhausted, I believe he is emphasizing that a key to living free from worry is truly, truly to allow your heart to belong to heaven. Friend, if what your heart most desires is really heaven, if what you most long for is really heaven, if your greatest love is truly the king of the kingdom of God, then as the old hymn says, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of of His glory and grace. I've shared this many times, but it just made such an impression upon me. What is it that allows my friend David Wright to say with complete sincerity that if he were faced with reality that death was a mere moments away for him, here is what his thought process would be. He says, I'd, I'd have a, a moment, just a brief moment, where I'd experience some some regret that I wasn't going to spend, you know, the later years of my life with my wife and my daughter. He says, but then very quickly, my attention would turn to this. I'm just about to see Jesus. And he says, completely believably, many of us could say this, it wouldn't, wouldn't sound believable at all. He says it with complete sincerity. My heart would be filled with joy. And anticipation. I was about to experience ultimate reality. What allows him to say that sincerely? What allows him to live that free from worry? He's trusted that God is good. He has trusted that God is in control. And that nothing will come to him outside of God's control. He sought God's kingdom. And here's a key. He has truly allowed his heart to belong to heaven. He believes that whatever happens to him, he is completely within the care of the God who loves him. I think that some of us here today are like a six-year-old child huddled under the basement steps expecting the tornado to strike and that any moment your worst fear is going to become your reality. And I believe today that God is asking each of us that are in that situation to turn our attention to Him, to look at Him. As the song says, to look full in His wonderful face. And I believe that God wants to say something to you today. I think that God wants to ask you a question. You you might even want to close your eyes just now and, and see this. Imagine this in your mind's eye. See yourself turning to Jesus. And here's what I believe He wants to ask each of you who are worried about something today. He asks you, do I look worried? 
And if we look at God rightly and if we understand God correctly, we know he's not worried and he has told us in his word why he's not worried. He's not worried because he's created everything that is. He's not worried because he is in control of all things. And he tells us this. He says, I know everything that's going to happen to you. I know it all. And I've known it since before you were born. I've known it since before I spoke the worlds into existence. And here's what I want to tell you today, that if you will trust me, if you'll totally entrust yourself to my care, here's what I can promise you. Everything is going to be okay. Now you might have trouble. Bad things are possibly going to happen to you. You you may have some really difficult times and at some point you are going to face your own mortality. But here's what I can tell you. If you'll trust me, if you'll give yourself to my care in the final analysis, when all is said and done, you will see that I am telling you the truth and you will see that everything really is okay. God is saying to us today, you don't have to worry because I'm not worried because I have it all. I have it all under control. So Jesus says to us, do not worry. Why don't you stand?